0: Welcome to Tax Notes Talk, a podcast from Tax Notes, the leading source of tax news, information, and analysis. Welcome to the podcast. I'm David Stewart, editor-in-chief of Worldwide Tax Daily. This week, new opportunities. We've talked a lot on this podcast about various aspects of the Tax Cuts and Jobs Act, but one area that remains ripe for development are the provisions on opportunity zones. My guest this week is Tax Notes Today senior legal reporter Stephanie Cummings, who will walk us through the details. But before we begin, I'd like to thank William Mitchell for suggesting this topic. Stephanie, welcome to the podcast.
1: Thanks for having me, Dave.
0: Why don't we start with some background on what is this Opportunity Zone program?
1: First, I'd like to give a disclaimer, which is that the Opportunity Zone program has a lot of technical rules. And I've heard a lot of practitioners say this as well, which is that I kind of want to stay big picture on this because I don't want to confuse anyone too much. So starting with the background, this sort of began as the Investing in Opportunity Act, which was sponsored by Senators Tim Scott and Cory Booker. So it's sort of a bipartisan program that kind of got into the Tax Cuts and Jobs Act without a lot Of people noticing it, I didn't really hear anything about it until sort of well after the bill had been passed. And then all of a sudden, everybody was like, "What's this about? Like, this could be huge. You know, what's going on?" I don't know how it escaped everybody's notice for so long, but now it's like the talk of tax.
0: So, what is an opportunity zone? How does some area become an opportunity zone?
1: So basically, the government delegated this to state officials. I think it was governors who who pretty much pulled census data and designated different tracts of land. So all of that is sort of set in stone right now. The areas that are designated as opportunity zones has already been determined. It could, obviously, with future legislation, be changed. But one interesting thing about the zones that were picked was that the census data that was used was sort of outdated. So Mm. a lot of the zones are actually areas that are doing pretty well. They were supposed to be (laughs) low-income communities, obviously. This is about attracting investment into those communities. But a lot of the zones, because the data was sort of out of date, are kind of already on the up and up. So that's been sort of one criticism of the program. So how does this program work? So there are three basic benefits. Basically, you can take capital gains and invest them in these qualified opportunity funds. So you defer capital gains tax by investing in the funds. Now at five years, it reduces your capital gains tax by 10%. And at seven years, it reduces it a further 5%. But the real big benefit is the 10-year benefit. So after 10 years, any additional gains you got on the gains you initially invested are tax-free. So no capital gains tax at all. And that's what has people really excited.
0: With any program of this size and with this sort of benefit, I would assume that there's a lot that wasn't spelled out in the <laughs>
1: legislation. So we're going to need regulations for that? Yes. unfortunately, fortunately, we have some. So the first set of proposed regs came out last October, along with a revenue ruling. And then just on April 17th, and it was last Wednesday, we got the second set of proposed regulations, which we had been expecting for months. They were originally promised back in December. But now we have them. And so the other thing is, is that Treasury officials had previously confirmed to tax notes that there would be a third Third set of regulations. But now they're saying that they hope that this second set answers all the questions. Now that remains to be seen. So they have said that, you know, there might be a third set of regulations if they need it, but not so sure. So walk us through what answers
0: did we get in the regs
1: we have? So basically, the goal of the regs seems to be to obviously provide clarity, but also a lot of flexibility. They're really trying to make this program kind of user-friendly to encourage people to invest. But there's also a really broad, I just want to highlight, there's a broad anti-abuse provision in the newest set of regs that says basically abuse will be determined based on all the facts and circumstances. That sounds kind of broad to me. But basically, so there was a sort of controversial requirement in the first set of regs about the active business conduct Rule where basically a qualified opportunity zone business must derive at least 50 percent of its gross income from the active conduct of a trader business within the opportunity zone. And that's why people worried that that meant 50 percent of your sales have to be within the zone. And Treasury and the IRS kind of went way out of their way to confirm in the regs that that's not the case. They basically provided three safe harbors that are sort of based on hours worked in the zone or wages paid in the zone and also a facts and circumstances test. So it seems like meeting that rule is actually going to be not too difficult. Other kind of flexible provisions they added were a six-month grace period for deploying cash. So basically, you won't be tested on this 90% asset test for at least sort of six months after you've been holding cash that you've raised. There's a a new vacant buildings rule in the the new set of regs that basically says, like, if a building has been vacant for at least five years, you can kind of consider that the original use of the building, almost if it had never existed. So that kind of counts as a good asset now. So there was also a request for information issued along with the new assessment of regs that's on reporting. There's a lot of concern about tracking the effectiveness of this program. And so the request for information is basically asking, how should we be doing that? How are we going to kind of monitor and figure out if this program's actually working?
0: So I understand the IRS held a hearing on that you attended. Can you tell me about the hearing?
1: This was the most interesting hearing I've ever been to. The line was out the door. It was insane. The room, the auditorium holds about 200 people, I think. I think they had to turn people away. There were so many people there. There were over 20 people speaking. So they basically apologized to everyone that got turned away at the door. And then the new hearing is actually going to be held at a separate location that I assume can hold. I find that interesting that
0: because a lot of these hearings I've sent reporters to attend, they talk about going in there and the room being practically empty and yeah, there being only one speaker.
1: Right. That's, that's pretty typical for IRS hearings. But this was nothing like that. And I think they were a little unprepared for it. There was a lot of testimony from people who are concerned about this program having the intended effect. Like, will this really help low-income communities? So there was a lot of talk about you need to institute guardrails, you need to repeal the program entirely, which is obviously outside of the IRS's power. But a lot of people are sort of fired up about this. It's a pretty political issue, which is why I think there were so many people there. There was also a lot of talk about that 50% active business conduct rule. That was kind of the main issue that people kind of kept harping on. And so that was clearly something that the regs addressed. All right. So the regs answered some of our
0: questions. What are the other big issues out there that we should be keeping an eye on?
1: So, like I said, Treasury and the IRS, I think we're hoping that this new set of regulations would answer most of the questions, but it's only been a few days, but I feel like the reaction is that there's going to be more questions. It might take time for people to sort of suss out what the specific questions are, but it seems like, especially in the area of partnerships, that there are going to be a lot of, of questions that still need to be answered. One thing officials kind of kept saying over and over again in the past few months was they're doing their best to harmonize the Opportunity Zone rules with the partnership rules, but it seems to be an area that's particularly challenging for them, and I don't think that this latest set of regs necessarily answered all of those questions.
0: Now, might the lack of guidance on some of these issues cause problems for people trying to invest in these opportunity zones?
1: So this has been sort of the biggest outstanding issue here is that the program is live. The government wants people to start using it. They want people to start investing. But there are a lot of people who have still hesitated because they've been waiting on guidance. And so the big question is, you know, now that we have this second set of proposed regulations, is that going to be enough guidance? Is that going to answer enough questions to get more people investing in, in the program? And I think that sort of remains to be seen. I've heard a lot of practitioners talking about developing their own rules of the road and sort of saying like well we can't wait we have to start going now so let's come up with our own kind of what we think the regs are going to say basically based on kind of a good faith interpretation and just hope that eventually the regs will confirm what we thought the rules would be and i think in general the administration has been trying to really assuage people's fears i get the sense that there have been a lot of officials out there talking to state and local government groups and and trying to encourage them to go ahead and invest in the program by saying like don't worry about it. Like the rules are going to be favorable. They're going to be flexible. And that is sort of what we've seen. We've seen a lot of rules that are sort of favorable and flexible, but you kind of never know. I mean, you're out there on a limb making assumptions about what the regs would say. And at the end of the day, this is a program that is being criticized a lot for being potentially abusive, just being a way for people to sort of save money. And so, you know, I think Treasury is also cognizant of making sure there are some anti-abuse provisions and they're not letting people go too far. So it really has been a big problem. You know, people want to start investing, but there are sort of, open issues.
0: Well, Stephanie, this has been great. We'll definitely have to have you back as we get more answers on this. Thank you for being here. Thanks, Dave. And now, coming attractions. Each week, we preview commentary that'll be appearing in the next issue of the Tax Notes magazines. We're joined by executive editor for commentary, Jasper Smith. Jasper,
2: what do you have for us? In Tax Notes, David Harriton argues that the beat fails to adequately target base erosion. In Phyllis Epstein, considers whether an LLC taxed as a pass-through entity pays its owners in wages or guaranteed payments in light of the 199A Qualified Business Income Deduction. In state tax notes, Roxanne Bland considers the long history of treaties between Indian tribes and the U.S. federal government and reviews recent cases that have developed standards to evaluate treaty language, while Billy Hamilton looks at how cities have reacted to the phenomenon of electric scooter rentals. And in Tax Notes International, Oliver Hoare analyzes the scope and mechanics of Luxembourg's new CFC rules and considers problems such as overlap with transfer pricing rules and the risk of double taxation. And Raul Angelo Papodi and Lorenzo Ferro examine a new tax regime that Italy is offering to individuals with foreign pensions who move their tax residence to southern Italy. We also want to remind students and professors about the Christopher E. Bergen Award for Excellence in Writing, Papers should be submitted by June 30th, and for more information, please visit taxnotes.com slash contest. You can read all that and a lot more in the April 29th editions
0: of Tax Notes, State Tax Notes, and Tax Notes International. That's it for this week. You can follow me on Twitter at taxstew, that's S-T-E-W. If you have any comments, questions, or suggestions for a future episode, you can email us at podcast at taxanalysts.org. And as always, if you like what we're doing here, please leave a rating or review wherever you download this podcast. We'll be back next week with another episode of Tax Notes Talk. Tax Notes Talk is a production of Tax Notes. You can learn more about us by visiting www.taxnotes.com backslash products. When major media wants the straight story, they turn to Tax Notes. Thank you for listening and join us again for another edition of Tax Notes Talk.